listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. Many here this morning understand Jesus enough. Many here understand Jesus just enough. You would say that you have enough faith. You've surrendered enough. You have enough trust. At least it's enough for you. It's enough for you. And I'm often there. It's enough for me. It's enough for you. But I want to pose two questions to us this morning as we start. The first question is this. How would it affect your life if you really knew why God made you? And maybe you've never stopped to think about that question this morning. How would it affect your life if you knew, really knew why God made you? If you understood your purpose, if you understood a real relationship, if you understood love, if you understood the, purpose, the meaning of your life, how would it affect your life? More than just praying a prayer to God and hoping he saves you from hell, you don't want to spend eternity in fire, so you prayed for fire insurance, or you need somebody to answer your prayers, here on earth to give you the things that you want. I'm talking about more than that. If you really understood why God made you. But maybe the second question is more for you this morning. You would say, I, I believe Jesus more than enough. I believe to the level that I'm supposed to. Whatever level that is. Maybe this, maybe this question is for you. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead and he's with you now, how does that affect your life? And maybe your answer is, man, it is, I think maybe it should affect me a little bit more. So I want, to, I want to give us just a moment. If you're like me, you haven't had very many quiet moments this week. And the opportunities that you had for quiet moments, you filled them with something else. Anybody else love podcasts? Anybody else love just turning on the television? And then an hour later, you don't even know what you were watching? Maybe that's just me. But I want to give us just a moment in the stillness here in this room, even though we have, I don't know how many people here, well over 100 people here sitting here, but I want to give us just a moment of stillness and silence. And I want us to ask God this question. What do you want to say to me this morning from your word? I don't, I don't, I hope you don't walk out of here and say, man, I heard from Michael Powell this morning. I don't want that. I hope you walk out of here saying, I heard from God this morning. And so as we set this up, before we open the word of God, I want you to ask him, what do you want to say to me this morning? So spend a moment asking him to reveal himself to you even now, and then we'll jump into the text. And all God's people said, amen. 
maybe as we consider how we think about Jesus, him being enough, imagine jumping on a trampoline. You're jumping on a trampoline and you're like, man, I can go so high. I love, I used to love jumping, used to love jumping on a trampoline. Now my boys, they wrote me into it. And after about 30 seconds, I'm just like, man, why did I agree to this, you know? But imagine you're jumping on a trampoline. You're like, man, I'm getting so high. And Elon Musk walks up to you and says, hey, would you like to go higher? And you say, absolutely, I'm trying, I'm going as high as I can. And he says, I have a rocket ship right here and I will take you all the way as high as the moon. You say, ah, yeah, I don't think so though. I think I'm actually going high enough. I think this is high enough. When we consider the way that God has actually made us and designed us and created us, in and of ourselves, we think, man, I've made it high enough. I know just enough about God. And he steps in and says, I don't think you do. I don't think you understand. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. So let's turn and look at the book of John this morning. We've been here for the past, uh, for the past couple of weeks, and we're actually going to be spending time here in the coming weeks with a new sermon series. But last Sunday, Palm Sunday, we looked at chapter 12, and so we've picked up on this last week of Jesus' life. So beginning in chapter 11, we see Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which is about a week and a half uh, before he is resurrected here on Easter Sunday, praise God. Uh, But so we've been looking at this, and so last week we saw chapter 12, we see chapter 13, he's arrested, um, or right before his arrest. Before he is arrested, we see him spending time with his disciples. And then today, we're going to see that he is raised from the dead. So Friday night, we saw at the end of that week, Friday night, Good Friday, we saw that he was arrested, that he was put on the cross, that he was buried, put into the ground. So that was Friday. So then Sunday morning, we pick up in John chapter 20. We see here, so I'll be in John chapter 20. I'll be walking slowly through this passage, but I want us to see the resurrection, the meaning, the impact for us this morning of what the resurrection is. So John chapter 20, beginning of verse number one. Now on the first day of the week, now this would be Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Notice her reaction, verse two. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. By the way, that's John, okay? I love how he just kind of throws it in there. Oh yeah, and then later you see where John actually outran Peter. He's like, oh, you know, the one who Jesus loved? Like, thanks, John. It's all about Jesus, right? I'm sorry. Um, He's probably going to slap me when I get to heaven. So this is the one that Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. We don't know. Here's how we know that the resurrection was not a hoax. I'm not going to spend time today proving the resurrection was true or not. Here's how we know that it was not a hoax. Because the enemies of Jesus, the religious leaders, did not want Jesus to rise from the dead. They didn't want that. And his disciples were not even expecting it. It's like, well, he told them several times over and over, I'm going to rise. But they didn't get it. So here he is. He's risen from the dead. And they're like, we don't know where he is. We don't know. That's how we know the resurrection was not a hoax. No one wanted it to happen. And if they did want it to happen, they didn't know it was going to happen. Kind of a catch-22. Look at verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Ooh. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths laying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up 
in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, (laughs) don't forget, and went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So after all the possibilities of what could have happened to Jesus' body, we see that he's not there and they, they go into the tomb There are a lot of things they could have seen when they walked in. What they did not experience was chaos. They didn't experience confusion. There was no violence there. What they find is a stack of laundry. They find everything in order. Everything went exactly according to plan. Not their plan, but God's plan. If you are burglarizing a home, you are not going to tidy up before you leave. His body was not stolen. He had to have risen from the dead. If you notice also, back in chapter, uh, chapter 11, we see Lazarus. When Jesus calls him out of the tomb, he comes out wearing what? Do you remember? His grave clothes, right? He's still wearing them. Jesus, because Lazarus was going to die again eventually, he still needed his. Jesus takes his and folds them up because he's done. He is done with death. He says, I don't need these anymore. And here's the message to the disciples. There's nothing left for them to do. What do they do in verse number 10? They go back to their homes. There's nothing for us to do. There's nothing for us to worry about. There's no chaos. There's nothing for us to fix. Everything is in complete control. Everything is under the control of Jesus Christ, who has just been raised from the dead. I want us to see several things this morning from the text. The first one is this, that there is no need to panic about anything, including death. There is no need for us to panic about anything, including death. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, those closest to Jesus expected him to still be dead. They still didn't understand the scriptures had been fulfilled. If you notice here, almost every single time we see someone encounter angels through the scriptures, they fall on their face. Please don't kill me. They're scared to death. Mary here, she can't even see that it's the angel. So she doesn't fall down. I think it's just, it's crazy that she sees these angels. She at least hears their voice and she does not fall down in fear. Before we get to verse number 14, Here's, here's, the, here's the picture that we have here. This is like one of those TV shows, uh, like Jerry Springer or like, you know, Mari. I think he was one of those kinds that my mom didn't watch back in the 90s. Um, but, it's, you know, you see the people on stage and they're like, hey, did you know that you have a brother? No, I don't actually, I don't have a brother. I don't have anybody else. I, I've never, you know, I'm, I'm an only child or whatever. But you see this little camera shot off stage and there's this person's brother. You know what I mean? And so the audience knows what's going on. So we know, this morning, South Point, we know that Jesus is alive, and she's about to see him. But Mary, she has no idea. 
Or it's like one of those kids with, you know, with a military family and the dad surprises him when he comes back and it's just this joyous reunion and it's beautiful. That's the picture that we get here. Look at verse number 15 or verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, not laying down, but standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. She still has tears in her eyes. She still can't see. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She, he said, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. At that moment, she realizes this is him. She hears his voice. Wait, he said my name. How, how does sheep know their shepherd? By their voice. He speaks. The question for us, and John writes this entire gospel. I think it's beautiful. All throughout, we've seen the past couple of weeks, John has written his gospel that you may believe not just in first century audience, but for us today, a couple of thousand years later, that you may believe. So I think the question that we have to answer or at least ask here this morning is this, whom are you seeking? Jesus asks Mary that in verse 15. And so I would pose that to us. Whom are we seeking? What are we looking for? Who are we looking for most? Who are the folks that we place up on pedestals? Maybe it's, Sports stars, maybe it's movie stars, maybe it's politicians. That's where we're placing our hope. Maybe it's in having a better spouse or having a spouse at all or having better kids or having kids at all, finding Mr. Right, finding Miss Right. I don't know what it is. Whoever it is, we're seeking someone for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for longing. But look at verse number 17. We see that Jesus offers a relationship with himself. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. So she says, Rabbi, and goes up and gives him a big hug. He says, he's not saying, hey, get off me. But he says, don't hold on to me. Why not? Notice the comparison here, the contrast. Do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers. The first time John has used this in his entire gospel, that, that language, and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Jesus here is saying, you have me in the flesh, but something even better than me being in the flesh is you having me spiritually. There's something even more than seeing this flesh right here that you can hold on to. There's a more intimate, more secure, more precious thing than holding me with your hands. And it's in believing me in your heart. And that's why Jesus uses the phrase here, go to my brothers. Those who believe in Christ are united in Christ. Those who believe in Christ are united in Christ. And that's even better than seeing him in the flesh. Here's the th second thing I want us to see is that what is Christ's by nature becomes ours by grace. That's why in Matthew chapter six, we have the disciples prayer. The disciples go to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus say? He begins with our father. I'm inviting you in. I'm welcoming you in, not because of anything that you can do, but because of my grace. We are now heirs through adoption. 
and we don't have to look anywhere else. We don't have to look anywhere else for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for glory, for security, because Jesus makes himself available. If you ask the average person in America, how do you expect to go to heaven? Or if you ask the average person in America, are you going to heaven? They're going to say, yeah, I hope so. I hope so. If you were to ask the average person in America how they know that they're going to heaven, they're going to say, because I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. Can I ask you, friend, why would you risk eternity on I think so. Eh, I'm a pretty good person. We're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. Let me get let me get five volunteers. Five volunteers, just come on up here. I just need five people. If you're the sixth person, just go back and sit down. I need five people. Just come on up. You can come up here and just stand right here on the stage. Don't stand in any order. We got three, so we need two more, all right? David, you raise your hand. Come on up. You love this stage. Who are we kidding? All right, so we got five. All right. Now, here's what I want to do first. In terms of actions or in terms of wholesomeness, somebody help me out. Who is the most, you're going to be our our really good person? All right, we're going to put you right down here. Step back just a little bit for me. Perfect. Thank you, Kathy. All right, so who, who is probably one of the, as close as we can get to ultimate good? Somebody give me a name. Billy Graham. All right, you're Billy Graham. You got it? You can smile. It's okay. All right. <laughs> she was nervous. Is she all right? All right. So in terms of ultimate evil, I feel like we have a pretty good option here. <laughs> can I get an Amen. Ashton's like, I don't know what to do right now. <laughs> this is why I just sit over here. Okay, cool. Okay, so David is going to be ultimate, as close as we can get to ultimate evil. Not, not 100%. He's not the devil, but we've got almost as close. Who do we have? Who can David be? Anybody? Hitler. Okay. If you could see my notes that I wrote this week, no joke, I put Billy Graham and Hitler. Okay? It's crazy. This is the Lord. Thank you. All right, so David is Hitler, okay? Scoot back just a little bit for me so we can. Not sound like that. So <laughs> David Henry is. <laughs> okay, so now we need three more people. They can be anybody. Who do we have right here? Anybody in the, just running the gamut, and we're, we're going to move her wherever we want to move her. Justin Bieber. All right, so <laughs> I tell you, how about y'all two step back, right back here for me? All right. All right, so where should Justin Bieber go on a scale of ultimate good and ultimate evil? Give me a, give me a uh, point which way he should go. So we got some people pointing this way. Oh, uh, uh, not based on songs, based on like good living, okay? Not based on, I feel like we have a, okay, so we're going to scoot her just a little bit this way. All right, all right, right here. Okay, perfect. All right, now we need somebody else. Who, who else do we have? Justin Bieber, who else do we have? I heard C.S. Lewis first. Praise God. All right. So where should C.S. Lewis go? Somebody, everybody just point. Which way? We have more people going this way. Tell me what, just whenever we're done, just stop pointing. Further? 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 I've got like, eh, that's good. Okay, last one. Need a, need a fifth person. Who do we have? Not Selena Gomez. I don't know who that was. 
Charles Darwin. Okay. Charles Darwin. Where do we put Charles? This way. Okay. Further. Further. Who are you again? Justin Bieber. Bieber. Yes. Okay. I was hoping. No, I'm not going to tell you who I was hoping they were going to say, Trump. Okay. So we'll, we'll put you. So Charles Darwin. Okay. Right here. We good? Okay. So when we look at these folks, we've got Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis. I forgot. Justin Bieber. We have uh, Charles Darwin and Hitler. This looks pretty fair, right? We're like, hey, this makes sense to us. Everybody in the room is just like, yes. This makes, here's my question for you this morning is where would you put yourself on this scale? Where would you put yourself? You're like, man, I really want to say that way. I really want to be more like Kathy, Billy. Here's my question. I'll stay right there. So consider where you would put yourself in that, and then consider where we should put this sign. If we were to put this sign, either heaven or hell, where would this sign go? Because in our minds, a lot of times, what we do is we say, a couple of y'all just pointed, okay? You're like, yeah, I think, well, gosh, I love some of his music. All right, so we'll, we'll just put it here. You know what I mean? But really, this sign goes all the way, sorry, Billy, It goes all the way down here. Every single one of these people, including the late, great Billy Graham, who led tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus, based on his own good works, is not ultimate good. He himself desires, not desires, he deserves hell. Because right here, the only person who deserves heaven is Jesus. Even if you're right here above C.S. Lewis and you're not quite as good as Billy Graham, guess what you deserve? Let's all say it together. Hell. You're like, I'm not as bad as him. It doesn't matter. Unless you're as good as Jesus, you deserve hell. Anything that you think you can do, that you think you can earn, any bit of God's grace, of his favor, of his mercy, if you think you can get that in and of yourself, that's where you're wrong, friend. That's why he had to come and die. The wages of sin is death. We're all on this side together. We're all just as bad as the worst in the sight of God. Thank you all. Can we give our volunteers a hand? Y'all can be seated. They didn't know what they were signing up for. You can just press all of his pedals right there. He's not going to know. Each and every one of us is in need of the grace that only Jesus Christ can provide. The only way that Jesus is going to call us brothers, the only way that he's going to say, my father is your father and my God is your God, the only way that we can share in his nature is by his sacrifice, by his grace. Let's keep going. Verse number 18. Notice how Mary responds. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. She could not keep this quiet. This was news that had to be shared. 
If you are seeking to experience a cozy relationship with you and Jesus, you are going to find that he is incredibly elusive. You can't wrap your arms around Jesus and say, hey, this is just me and Jesus. I don't need the people of God. I don't need the word of God. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. Man, we're just, we're just, I'm just dating Jesus. He's my family. He, he's just all I need. I don't need, no. She goes and tells that good news to others. Notice what she says. Uh, if we keep going, on the evening of that day, here's the good news. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Crazy, huh? Again, we see these religious folks. They're so nice. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's starting to make sense now, but notice verse 21. Here's the message to them. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Even better than receiving and seeing Jesus there in the flesh and being able to hold on to him is being indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And brother and sister, we have access to that Holy Spirit today. If you are his child, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, that's even better than if I were to walk in the doors in the flesh. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you, re, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. In other words, what he's saying is, he's not saying that, I'm, that you as the church are the conduit for forgiveness. He's saying you have received forgiveness. And in the same way, take the forgiveness that only comes through the blood of Jesus and tell other people about it. That's the only way that they're going to hear about it is by you going and telling them about it, proclaiming the good news. Don't withhold the good news from them. This is the message that I've given you. Now go tell other people about it. That's what he's saying. Here's the third thing that I want us to see. Imagine for a moment if you heard a personal message from God, and here's the message. Your sins are forgiven. Imagine if you heard God say, your sins are forgiven. Maybe some of y'all are plagued by guilt. Maybe you feel trapped by this sin that you just can't stop committing. Maybe there's a deep, dark secret that you have inside of you that you can't share with anyone else. And you hear the voice of God and it says, your sins are forgiven. Now listen, we need, it is necessary for the events of Good Friday and for Easter. Both of those events are necessary for us to hear these words, your sins are forgiven. Here's why. The message of Easter is not that someone rose from the dead. We saw it like a week and a half ago. Back in John chapter 10, I don't know what just happened. I might have been, is that it? Nothing? Okay. We saw it a week and a half ago. Can y'all hear my mic? Okay, sorry. I had some hairy eyeballs, like, looking back at me. Okay, cool. A week and a half ago, who was raised from the dead? Lazarus. So Easter is not special because someone has been raised from the dead. We've seen this already. We've seen it. 
The message of Easter is this, that the one who bore the wrath of God in our place, our punishment, he is the one who has been raised back from the dead. He's the one, not just that somebody was raised back to life, but that Jesus Christ was. Without the events of Easter, Good Friday is but a bloody, unnecessary tragedy. And without the events of Good Friday, Jesus dying for our sin, the events of Easter Sunday morning are only for those who are perfect. Which so far, the count is at one. And his name is Jesus. But I want us to see this, that the resurrection is the triumph of the cross. Both are necessary in order for God to say, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Easter comes with this offer of forgiveness. It comes with this offer of forgiveness because the resurrection is God the Father saying, Yes, I approve of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and your sin is no more, and death is defeated. And all God's people said, Amen. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9, it says this, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your, that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Without the resurrection, listen friend, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no good news. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we already saw it this morning. It was uh, in the middle of the song. It says this, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I was doing some yard work on Friday afternoon, and there was a wasp that flew close to me. And um, like any um, man would do, manly man, I started flailing my arms and screaming like a little girl. Because I've been stung by a wasp before. Anybody here been stung by a wasp, a bee, something? It hurts. Bad. But if that wasp, earlier that day also, I saw a butterfly come by me. Guess what I didn't do? <laughs> this! <laughs> because I've never been stung by a butterfly. Now, there's a really good Muhammad Ali quote that some of y'all are thinking. Oh, yeah, okay. If the wasp had no stinger, I would not be scared of it. Because of Christ's sacrifice, death no longer has a sting. We have no reason to fear death because our hope is eternal, it's secure, it's in Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing I want us to see, is that death was defeated and eternal life is ours through Jesus. Through Jesus. Back in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. But right here on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection had to die so that the dead would know life. 
The resurrection had to die so that the dead would know life. Friend, don't settle for anything less than Jesus. He loves you. Even you. Maybe you think about Peter who vowed to never leave Jesus. I would never do that, Jesus. I would never forsake you, Jesus. I would would never do that. Maybe that's you this morning and you think, man, I, my life is just like Peter because my life is plagued with pornography. I just can't stop with alcohol. I just can't stop with materialism. I just can't stop. I said, I never would. I said, I would start reading my Bible, but I just can't. Maybe you're like Peter this morning. Maybe you haven't been inside of a church building in a really long time and you feel the shame of that this morning. You're like, man, I just feel a lot. Can I tell you The reason that each and every one of us is sitting here this morning, as broken as we all are, is because God the Father is pursuing you through the finished work of his son. Yes, you. Not because of who you are, not because you're so good, not because you're so pretty, not because you're more on this side of ultimate good than you are on this side of ultimate bad but because of his perfection, because of his grace, because of his mercy. Every single one of our sins was nailed to the cross and we receive the goodness of Jesus Christ. The proposal for each of us this morning, the proposal for us is this, a relationship with God. A relationship with God. Whatever you think you need the most in your life, that is what you need. That is what you were created for. You were created to be in relationship with God, to be his brother, to call Jesus God your God. And it's been made possible because Jesus Christ is alive. He's made it possible. He is here. He is alive. For a moment, I want you to close your eyes. Uh, Bow your heads with me. Maybe some this morning would say, yeah, I know this to be true. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord, but I have not committed my life to him. Or maybe a long time ago I did, but I haven't been living that way in a while. I would plead with you to repent of your sin. To confess that you need God more than anything else in your life. Look to the cross, glory in the cross that he is pursuing even you again. Maybe there are some in this room who have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. We read it from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved. It looks like this. You can can pray a prayer that sounds like this. Father, I am a sinner in desperate need of your grace. I can do nothing to be in right relationship with you. So I place my faith, my hope, my trust in Christ and in him alone. I surrender my life to you, Father. And Father, this morning I pray for those in this room who know you, maybe who are far from you.
I pray that we would be living for your glory more than ours. Father, for those in this room who have never known you, I pray that you would bring them to yourself. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the finished work on the cross. And thank you for bringing Jesus back from the dead. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. And I would encourage you this morning, we are his people. We are his brothers, his sisters. If you prayed for the very first time, if you repent of your, very, of your sins for the very first time and put your faith and your hope and trust in Jesus, come tell me, come tell one of our pastors, tell someone. And if you're like, yeah, I mean, I've been living in sin. I put my faith in Jesus, but I've been living in sin. That's why we have life groups and DNA groups. That's why we are here as his family, as a community. Not because we want to accuse you, but because we want to bring your sin to light so that you can see the glory of Jesus. I began by asking you this question. Maybe you think that Jesus is enough. Maybe he's enough for you. But this morning we celebrate this table that we call communion. And the message is this. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. And how we experience his embrace, both in a physical and in a spiritual sense, is through the bread and through the juice. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And he's not going to partake of this meal until he sees us again in glory. So as we do this, friends and family, this is for those of us who have placed their faith in Christ and in him alone. Those of us who need him more than anything else in this life. Those of us who say he is enough. Whatever life looks like. And he has made this meal possible because he is our living hope. So let's celebrate that together. Y'all are invited to join me.